Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe. I'm your host, Sean T, and you are about to get fixed today. We are talking everything from recovering your body to performing in the best way possible, even give you some tricks on how to perform better in your insanity workout and also how to boost your immune system. You guys are going to be so excited because we have Dr. James Nicolentino. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but after this, you will want to. So get ready to trust and believe in your immunity. Somebody say it again. No, no, no. What's up? It's better than Oprah. Come on, y'all. This is Sean T, and it's time to trust and believe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. James, thank you so much for sending me all of your books, getting me acquainted with life, with health. I think that you have some just incredible knowledge. And before I get into blowing people's minds with your expertise in science, can you just give us a little background about you? Because I think people are going to be super excited to hear everything you have to say. Sure. My background is actually in cardiovascular research um, at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute and also as a doctor of pharmacy as well. I graduated from the University of Buffalo and really my my love for nutrition and, and things of uh, all that nature really stemmed from uh, wrestling in the cross country in high school and knowing the importance of salt um, for performance and exercise and really sort of how I knew that adding more salt to my regimen, my exercise regimen dramatically improved my ability to exercise and that maybe the low salt advice is not what we should be following, especially if we're athletic and we exercise on a frequent basis. So the salt fix, uh, one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you is because everything that you uh, bring to people and knowledge in terms of their health I think in a way trumps a lot of what other people think and what other people say. And I think you kind of like that because you got the background and education to, to support it. Let's first talk about the salt fix. I think my biggest question, and I'll leave this in with us for a second, is, you know, obviously a lot of times people say, minimize your salt, minimize your salt. Don't put too much salt on your food, X, Y, and Z. And then there's a bunch of packaged food out there, meaning, you know, 
pre-frozen meals. And one of the things people say is, well, you shouldn't eat that because it has a ton of sodium. And so obviously people are going to be like, what do you mean I should put X amounts of salt in my water before I work out? That's going against what I've learned. So can you give us like the difference between, you know, your methodology of putting you know, salt in your drink pre-workout and the salt that's in the pre-packaged food? That's a good point. And so really like in, in that book, The Salt Fix, and in my recent, most recent book, The Mineral Fix, the focus really is that if you are salt sensitive, there's three primary reasons why you're not eating enough potassium or magnesium, or you're eating too many refined carbs and sugars. If you basically fix those three underlying problems, 99% of people actually would not have a problem with a normal salt intake. And so we've sort of blamed the wrong white crystal. It's really sugar, not salt. That's actually driving up blood pressure. And that's kind of like the whole crux of my books. Does a lot of things come back to how much sugar you put in your body and it comes back to the sugar rather than the salt? It, I think it does. And we could have actually always consumed salt even back millions of years ago because, and we know animals actually go to salt licks and humans would follow their, their trails and actually consume salt naturally for millions of years. And we actually used to get salt too from things like um, blood or interstitial fluid, which we don't consume anymore, but we never really could get refined pure sugar. We could get fruit, but that's completely different versus actually extracting um, the sugar cane and the juice and then concentrating it into a crystal. The same methodology actually happens when you create cocaine or opium. You extract this nutrient from a plant, but you concentrate it. And once you do that, you've dramatically changed the profile of that substance. And that that's really the key here is that refined sugar is not natural and we would have never consumed it throughout evolution. Oh, when people talk about they have a sugar addiction, do you think it's because of that process? Do you think that if they ate sugar in its most natural form before it got concentrated, do you think we would have this same sugar addictive, you know, society? No, we wouldn't. And and that's that's you nailed it because when you concentrate the sugar, you get such a high release of dopamine that afterwards you have this trough in the brain. You're basically dopamine deficient and your body's telling you, I need that spike again to feel good. So it's these really, really highs that you would have never gotten just consuming fruit that leads to the trough. And it's that trough that leads to people to constantly want to consume that substance again. That is so interesting. You just hit the nail on the head for me because for people who drink, you know, let's say Pepsi or Coke or something like that, and they're constantly just going and putting all of that sugar in a cup, that's making them want to come back for more and more and more. Am I correct in saying that? I just want to make sure. 100%. And, and the other reason why not just the peaks in dopamine in the brain leading to the troughs, but it's also the peaks in blood sugar that leads to the low blood sugar levels. And so physically you feel shaky now and you're searching for that next sugar fix to get your blood glucose back up. But it's this vicious cycle now of ups and downs. I actually know a few people who have really cut out sugar. Is that the healthy way to go about it? Or do you feel like people can eat different kinds of sugar and still not get that, that desire or that addictive desire to go back to candy? Like, can they go to, could they go to fruits instead of cutting it out all the way? 
Well, 100% you can go to fruits because we would have naturally gotten that. Although you do, it's more the berries you want to stick to because the fruits of today are larger and more sugary typically than the fruits we used to be able to get. But the key here is I sort of look at sugar as alcohol. Some people can handle it and some people can't. And so some people may actually be able to add refined sugar and just kind of put it on, you know, food to make it taste better and be okay. But then there's those other people who, as soon as they put it back into their diet, they're just craving it all the time. And it leads to this basically disaster. So it's almost like you got to understand like how well you can actually tolerate it. How would you help someone who really has that, who's affected by the sugar addiction? I think there's probably at least three things that come to mind. One would be to target protein. Make sure you're getting enough protein in a meal because that will give you long-term satiety and and not enough people, especially in the United States are actually hitting protein targets. So, you know, a good target is 30 grams of protein per meal. Um, And if you can get fiber too, if you tolerate fiber, fiber and water, which, you know, a lot of fruit is, is very satiating very quickly. So fiber and water give you a lot of the satiation very quick. And then the protein gives you the long lasting satiation. So when you combine both of those things, it's great for actually decreasing cravings like snacking, sugar, things like that. Well, the other factor I was going to say, it comes back to the other white crystal and that is salt. If you actually don't get enough salt, your reward center in the brain becomes hyperactivated. And that is actually a survival mechanism because how would we have known to actually seek out salt um, if we were low on it? And the brain becomes hyperactivated. So when you actually got it in the diet, you would consume more of it. It would taste better. Well, sugar can hijack that system when you're not getting enough salt. So a lot of people tell me if they drink pickle juice or just have a little bit of salt on their tongue, their sugar cravings go away. And that's why. Oh my goodness. So when I was younger, I don't, my grandmother and grandfather used to keep pickles in the house. And I always thought it was really weird. They would be upstairs and I would like look around and see if anybody was around and I would take the pickle juice jar and I would drink it. And I was like, this is so bad. And I almost felt guilty and it wasn't sweet. It was just Like you said, it was like, it is amazing. I'm so happy you said that. It is, it's amazing. So like, should people sip on pickle juice or no? Well, I think if it helps someone cut uh, sugar cravings, absolutely. And it's a great way to actually um, inhibit cramps. So there's been at least two studies testing pickle juice. And within 90 seconds, it can basically cut out um, a skeletal muscle cramp. So I think it's sort of like a hidden secret in the cabinet or in the refrigerator that people can use to sort of help with sugar cravings or help with muscle cramps. So the first question I have is, so I've done Spartan races, you know, like those kind of races. And I feel like my nutrition and my intake prior to those races are, I'm pretty good. I never, I don't think I've ever cramped or anything like that, but there has been, there was one uh, Spartan super that I did was very mountainous. It was super hilly. And most of it was just completely up, uphill. And so it was the first time that I experienced some fatigue that I wouldn't normally experience. And people who I didn't even know just started randomly coming up to me and they were like, here's some, uh, mustard packs. They were like, here, take some mustard packs. And I was like, that. It wasn't about the salt. It wasn't about anything. I, re- I just didn't know about it. I was like, what the heck is that? So, 
But here's my real question. Because you talk about salt. Obviously, mustard has some salt in it. You taste it. Would you take... Oh, so my second part to that before I get to my question is... The other thing is I have experienced Charlie horses in the middle of the night from running track. I would run all day. I would drink water. I would be fine at dinner. 2 a.m. I wake up to a Charlie horse in my hamstring. And the only thing that would help it out, at least I thought, were bananas. So what's better to have bananas or to have something like pickle juice or mustard packs when you're cramping? So there's two main causes of muscle cramps. Um, the most, the primary one is actually not enough salt. Um, typically what ends up happening is you sweat out so much salt um, that you actually deplete the interstitial fluid. And then the nerves get sort of physically altered from that. And that induces a cramp. That's the most common cause of muscle cramps is actually a loss of salt. The second most common cause is overuse. So if you typically this happens after 24 kilometers um, because you've overused your muscle. So it's one typically one or the other. But that's not to say that things like potassium, magnesium and calcium don't come into play as well. They can. They're just not as um, prevalent as a cause. Mm. You got to kind of figure out like, okay, did the salt and pickle juice help me? If not, is it because I overworked the muscle? And if rest doesn't help, then like you said, maybe bananas to bump up the potassium or more magnesium and calcium, those also come into play as well. I want you to kind of walk me through if I'm going to do an insanity workout. I'm not sure if you've ever tried my insanity workouts, but as a cross country, you haven't. You know what, James, we go. All right. We're going to have to fix that. But anyway, (laughs) but it's it's basically very equivalent to a track and field workout where you're doing, you know, ladder 400, 800s. And, you know, you kind of mix it up with like a two, maybe three mile run. It's like a combination of all of that. Um, How would you prepare for that with salt? So it actually took me a long time to really delve into the literature to figure out what is the optimal way to hydrate prior to prolonged vigorous exercise. And I finally got it right in the mineral fix. So if I am literally writing this down, go ahead. (laughs) Check out the mineral fix. But so the most people think the best way to hydrate is to drink water or a solution that is the same saltiness as sweat during exercise. But that's actually not the best way to hydrate. Because gastric emptying slows down as you start vigorously exercising. So you can't really get the fluid from the stomach to the intestine. It just sits in the stomach once you're vigorously exercising. And that can lead to abdominal bloating, gastrointestinal discomfort, and actually reduce performance. So you actually want to get ahead of the problem. And the main problem with vigorously exercising is by five to 10 minutes, you've dropped your blood volume by 10% because the blood is flowing to the working muscle and your heart isn't getting as much blood flow. So if you can boost blood volume prior to exercise through consuming salt solutions, that's how you actually get ahead of the problem. And that has been shown to increase performance by over 20 minutes if it's in the heat. Reduce core body temperature by three quarters of a degree and reduce heart rate by about 10 beats per minute. And so what these studies show is you start consuming these salt solutions 90 minutes before exercise and you slowly consume them over about 30 minutes. And then you wait 
60 minutes to allow it to absorb and boost your blood volume. And now you're a machine. You're going to be ready to go for the next hour at high capacity that nobody else is going to be able to keep up with you because you have boosted your blood volume prior to exercise. Right now in Phoenix, it's, you know, I play tennis every day. I'm training for tournaments now and it's super intense. And I play for, I play for 90 minutes, obviously with some breaks in between, you know, but um, it's about, I mean, I play in the morning now and it's 99 degrees. And then if I, if I do a second session in the afternoon, it's like 105 to 111. So you're saying that this solution would actually help and aid in my recovery process and my performance when I'm outside. 100%. And it's very easy to make these solutions. Um, Redmond Relight has salt solutions that have flavoring to them so it doesn't taste bad. Um, LMNT is also another one. I have no affiliation with these companies, but they mm. flavor the salt so it's more palatable. And so essentially, It's basically like one full teaspoon of salt, which is 2,300 milligrams of sodium in about 20 Mm -hmm. ounces of fluid. And you just slowly consume that over about a half an hour. And then you wait a full hour before exercise. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's go to the mineral fix because you mentioned that I was going to go to another book, but let's go to the mineral fix. And then I just want to, you know, talk about like how to keep people healthy, you know, over a prolonged period of time. Sure. So in the mineral fix, I do cover a lot around immunity because our immune cells actually take up minerals and use those to actually increase their ability to fight viruses and bacteria. So for example, um, numerous white blood cells um, will take up things like magnesium. And if they, if you are deficient in magnesium, your cells can't kill viruses or bacteria as well. Um, We also use salt to literally kill infections. Um, The chloride in salt, because salt is sodium and chloride is used to form something called hypochlorous acid that our white blood cells secrete to kill pathogens. And we actually use salt Um, the chloride particularly, to create stomach acid to actually kill pathogens that you ingest. Um, And if you don't have good stomach acid, you can't even digest food and absorb nutrients. So um, it's it's just interesting that salt determines how much stomach acid you have, how well you can digest food and absorb nutrients. And many minerals determine how well your own immune system can actually fight infections. Uh, So what if you can give me a, a mineral cocktail like a daily mineral cocktail, what would it be? Well, one of the best things is mineral water. I, I drink things like Gerald Steiner water, San Pellegrino. There's a water called magnesia water. They're very high in calcium and magnesium, and they're already dissolved in solution. And so by slowly consuming that at low amounts, you absorb minerals much better than just taking large doses all at once. So that's what I do every single day. I'm always consuming mineral water. Now, when you say San Pellegrino, that's like what we get at a restaurant, yeah? It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
one of my faves. I like it. Uh, all right, let's move on to just before we get into immunity fix, because I want to talk about that. Let's move on to super fuel. Let's talk about this book for a second. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who do keto, who talk about keto. Um, you know, I have some friends who are, you know, keto and then, you know, it's like, what's better intermittent fasting or keto. So talk about, uh, super fuel. And then I have some specific questions about that as well. Sure. So super fuel is mostly what are the healthiest fats and foods to consume? And, you know, even I, before researching for this book, didn't really understand the differences between, um, the fats. Like for example, one study showed that just taking, um, one ounce of butter off the table and replacing that with one ounce of olive oil leads to a fat loss of over six pounds in just a few weeks. If you're consuming a moderate amount of carbohydrates and that's because fats have different oxidation rates. So olive oil is burned at a quicker rate than the long chain saturated fats in butter. So things like butter, heavy cream, cheese, if you're consuming those type of foods on top of a moderate amount of carbs or especially a high amount of carbohydrates, that's going to pack on the pounds much more than something like olive oil. So Superfuel has all those little insights on which fats I should be cooking with and what are the best fats to help me lose weight. Can you give us like fats for dummies 101 so people can understand what each fat is for? And I'll go a little bit further. Why, um, you know, just the, the calories, you know, there's the calories between protein, fat, and sugar. Sure. That's a good point. So, so the calories we've uh, used to demonize fat because essentially they are the most calorically dense food compared to protein and carb, right? Um, Protein and carbs only essentially uh, per gram, four calories, whereas per gram of fat, it's nine calories. But it really comes down to how these things affect your hormones. And if they're messing up your fat storing hormones, then it doesn't matter if they're lowering calories or not. If they're causing you to store fat and increasing hunger signals, then that's not what you want. And I think we've sort of gone to the point where low fat diets are not really that healthy because they're not very satiating and we need fats to build our cell membranes. And so fats for dummies, how I could quickly break this down is you have your bad fats, which are the trans fats, obviously, but a lot of people cook with things like corn oil or sunflower oil. Um, and those oils are the omega-6 seed oils. And they are actually probably the worst thing to cook with because they mm. oxidize so easily. So I don't want people to demonize like sunflower seeds or sesame seeds or the actual whole food. But when you extract um, the oil from those foods, it's not something you want to cook with. And even if you don't cook with it, if you have those canola oils and things like that in the food, that's something to avoid because it's going to increase the oxidation in your body. And then sort of like the okay fats are the set long chain saturated fats and things like butter, um, cheese, heavy cream. Those are the, I call them the okay fats. I don't think they're going to be necessarily harmful unless you pair that with a lot of refined carbohydrates. And then your good fats would be the omega-3s. Um, there's two different types from plants. And then of course, from animals, the long chain omega-3s like fish and other seafoods that we get, which is actually really important for performance, like consuming three grams of EPA and DHA, which is the marine omega-3s, has been shown to increase muscle protein synthesis, reduce heart rate, improve how long you can exercise. And so many people are deficient in those fish oil omega-3s. 
And then the plant omega-3s are things like um, alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, which is found in like greens. And then another good fat is the medium chain triglycerides, the MCTs. They don't really get stored for fat. You just sort of, they just get converted to ketones typically and you burn that for fuel. Um, so like MTC, so you've heard of MTC oil. The MCT oil um, has been used in a lot of for cognition because a lot of people with cognitive impairment, they can't utilize the glucose anymore. So if you give them MCTs and that converts to the ketones, the um, people with cognitive impairment have been shown to actually have improved cognition when they put those MCTs like in their coffee. What are the best three oils to cook with? Well, this is interesting because everyone's always told not to cook with extra virgin olive oil, but that is the best oil to cook with. And we've been tricked thinking that the smoke point is what matters. And actually, that's the worst thing to look at because the omega-6 seed oils typically have a high smoke point. But that has nothing to do with when the oil actually starts to oxidize. And the reason why extra virgin olive oil is so good is because it is so high of polyphenols, it protects the oil from oxidizing and the polyphenols can even get into the food that you're cooking with and make them healthier. So extra virgin olive oil is by far the best oil to cook with. Okay. So for people who are like cook with coconut oil or That's avocado good. oil, are they both good? I'll give you, I'll, I'll break, I'll do the hierarchy. So extra virgin okay. olive oil is the best right after that though is coconut oil because it's so high in saturated fat. It doesn't oxidize. After that would be your pastured animal fats like tallow, butter, and especially ghee. Ghee is very good for high temp cooking. And then after that, I would say avocado. And the reason why avocado is number four, it's still fine to cook with, is because it doesn't have the high polyphenol content like extra virgin olive oil. All right, let's move on to immunity. Obviously, with um, just health and People wanting to be healthier, I believe it's on the rise. I still feel like it has a long way to go. I think that a lot of the times uh, health stops at fitness and basic nutrition. Uh, but I think that, you know, fixing your immune system is obviously the one thing that you can do to really prolong your life. I, I mean, everybody is out there to want to live longer, healthier, stronger. So let's talk about immunity fix and why you wrote that book and and then I'll get into some more questions after that. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, like you said, immunity is now at the forefront, but really anything that improves your immune system is going to improve longevity because your immune system actually comes from your bone marrow and your stem cells. So if you're improving your immunity, you're likely improving the health of what actually creates all the cells in your body. And that would be stem cells because they can turn into muscle cells and bone cells, which is kind of mind blowing when you actually think about it. So sleep is very important when it comes to the immune system. And not a lot of people are getting enough sleep. And I think this, like a lot of this blue light at night is just messing people's circadian rhythms up. And that can lead to, you know, obesity and high insulin levels and wrecks your immune system. So making sure to get actually sunlight in the morning, right into the retina helps to actually set your circadian clock appropriately. So most people, they don't even step out of their homes in the morning to like look at the sunrise or, or even get sun in the middle of the day. And it's really important to set those circadian clocks. Is there any other just kind of words of, of motivation you can get people to say, this is another reason why 
sleep works. Right. Well, I think part of the reason why is people don't know what to do to even improve their sleep. And it really comes down to two things, light and temperature. So if you are basically being blasted with light at night, like I turn all my lights off, like at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., like the lights are, are very, very dim or they're fully off because it's artificial. We're not supposed to have light at night. And that prevents people from actually being able to fall asleep because you don't start releasing melatonin typically until at least an hour after basically all the lights have been turned off. So get your light right, right? Like turn off the lights at night, get some light in the morning from a natural sunlight and you can get light in the winter. It doesn't have to be warm out for the sun to be out or for it to be bright outside. And so stepping out in the morning, again, it's going to help set that circadian rhythm so that your melatonin is ready to go at night. So I think those two things will really help a lot of people out. And then temperature, we don't sleep well when we're hot. So I have to have a fan on me in order to sleep. I mean, some people have like these blankets that cool them down, which is actually, if you have problems sleeping, that's probably one of the best things you can do is get one one of those cooling blankets. And typically we do much better at falling asleep like at 67 to 70 degrees. Whereas a lot of people are just trying to fall asleep at like 73 degrees. And it's just so difficult to do that. I can, you know, co-sign on everything you just said. I, so my husband, Scott always thought it was weird and still, I don't think he thinks I'm weird now, but he's still kind of like, okay, if there's any light in the room, I freak out. Um, I will, if we go to a hotel and a TV in the room has like the red light, I will put a pillow in front of it. I have him close the shades. And if there's a little peeking through, I'll put the curtain over the other curtain because, and then the other thing that he didn't understand when we got together, I'm like, I needed to be 64 degrees in here because when it's super cold, I sleep so much better. If I'm hot, I feel I feel as though all night long, I'm, even if I'm, even if I'm sleeping, I'm tossing and turning. So it's just kind of like one of those things that um, I'm going to make sure he listens to this so he can understand that I'm not that weird. Um, Anyway, thank you so much. I got so much information. Do you give any, do you do any private sessions for people? Are you more just how can people get a hold of you just to kind of get more information besides your incredible books? What I do try to do is I'm pretty active, like on my social media, like Instagram, I do actually respond to a lot of the comments. And if enough people ask me to do a video on a certain topic, I will, I will try to do that. So I, it's really like my Instagram is a great way to sort of interact with me. Okay, perfect. And then I have one final question, which I ask all of my guests, you know, usually, a lot of these questions comes from, you know, life lessons, but you're really giving people scientific information to really improve their overall health, well-being, and prolong their life, lives. So how would you help people trust and believe in who they are? Well, that's a great question. Your mind, your thoughts determine how you actually function in this life. Like if you have negative thoughts Um, that's just suppressing your ability to do positive things. So there's no point in having negative thoughts. There's just not. And so being positive, it's been shown that people who are more positive legitimately live longer and they actually do much better. They're more successful. So I would say 
just try to always um, look at things on the positive end of the spectrum because there's no point in being negative in this world. Dr. James, I'm so happy. First of all, I'm happy you were extremely diligent. Like Sean, get it together. We need to get, I need to get on the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I can honestly say this is one of my favorite and most informative episodes ever that I'm going to tell everyone. If you're out there listening, make sure you listen again and get a pen and pad or get your notes ready in your phone and make sure you take some notes because Dr. James is gonna take you to the next level. I'll make sure that everyone can find you on Instagram and thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 